Coming up on this week's show, we get into the world of Joker's Sin with author Davidson King. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 253 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. hey This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thanks to Frederick and Sherry Lynn for joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we've got coming up for you next week. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. We are so glad that you could join us for another episode of the podcast. First things first, let's rectify a grave injustice. Last week, we were so excited about featuring Joel Leslie, who just happened to be one of your picks for favorite episodes of the last five years. We were so excited about that episode that we forgot to mention the August Book Club pick. What whoa. whoa. <laughs> let's rectify that right now. So what is the August Book Club pick? We are going to be reading H.J. Welch's Troubled Waters. If you are looking for a crazy sexy bodyguard book, then boy is this one for you. It's got romance and adventure, and I completely fell head over heels in love with these two heroes. It's a wonderful story, and we cannot wait to talk about it. The book club episode is going to be an early exclusive for our Patreon members this Tuesday, but you can expect the book club pick for the month of August to drop into the regular podcast feed on August 25th, so there's still plenty of time to read Trouble Waters if you haven't yet partaken of this awesome book. Yes, go pick that up now, add that to your summer reading list, and be ready to listen to our discussion of it later this month. We mentioned last month that the new edition of the Heart to Heart charity anthology has been released, and just last week, an appearance that some of the authors did over at Continual released. This panel discussion includes anthology mastermind Leslie Copeland, as well as authors Pandora Pine, Maz Maddox, Jen Burke, and myself, and we are hosted by Morgan Bryce. Now, this was on the Continual Facebook page. And for those who don't know what Continual is, this was put together by a number of authors who realized that a a continual space, if you will, where panel discussions can be recorded and uploaded on Facebook can be a great way to bring authors and readers together in these times where we cannot gather in person. So as you check out this particular entry in the Continual panel discussions, make sure to check out the rest of the offerings on their Facebook page and like them as well. So you'll see the panels that are coming up later this summer and into the fall. Speaking of panel discussions, I'm looking forward to moderating a discussion for Barbara's Bookstore, which is in Chicago. They are having a bit of a romance month in August, and they are featuring two LGBTQ romance authors, Philip William Stover and Ilya Winters. Philip, you may remember from episode 243, he was here talking about his book, The Hideaway Inn, that both Will and I loved. Ilya is the author of Hairpin Curves, which is another Karina Adores book. We're going to be having a great conversation about their books and LGBTQ romances. That discussion is going to take place on Saturday, August 22nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find the details at barbarasbookstores.com where you can register for this virtual event. And hopefully we will see you out there in the virtual audience for that. 
a couple of cool news things over in TV land. You know, we love our Christmas movies here on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, and we were super excited this week to see that Lifetime announced an LGBTQ-focused movie. It's going to be called The Christmas Setup, and it features a New York City lawyer who is going home and he's getting set up by his mom. Mom is going to make it so he runs into his high school crush. We love our second chance romances too, so hopefully this is going to be a super delightful movie. It's written by somebody who's done a couple of our very favorite movies, including one called Christmas Around the Corner that was on Lifetime a couple years ago and actually featured a prominent gay couple in a supporting role. So very much looking forward to this movie written by Michael J. Murray and to see what this turns out like this holiday season. Also of note, made me super excited this week, Love, Victor got its official season two pickup by Hulu. No dates on when we get to go back to Creekside with Victor, but very much looking forward to that as well. That is indeed great news. We're looking forward to both of those projects coming to fruition on our TV screens very soon. But now let's talk about something that's available right now. Jeff and I recently partook of two documentaries that recently premiered on separate streaming channels. The first we'd like to talk about is We Are Freestyle Love Supreme, and that's on Hulu. And it is the history of the hip-hop theatrical improv group that has essentially helped shape modern American theater. One of the primary movers and shakers is, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And the documentary covers the various members of the group how they came together in the days when most of them were just little baby hip-hop artists right out of college. They helped establish a black box theater in New York City where they could showcase their talents in the days leading up to the premiere of In the Heights. And it follows them throughout the years and how the group deals with the overwhelming international success of Hamilton. I really enjoyed this documentary for a couple of reasons. First, it's interesting to see how the seeds of this group actually fueled in the Heights and Hamilton. But from a sheer creativity standpoint, what these folks do in Freestyle Love Supreme, it's it's essentially improv. I mean, it's straight up improv, getting words from the audience, getting things from the audience to create the show with. But not only are they improving, they are rapping and creating rhymes on the fly. It was a, amazing to watch it unfold. And also to see the the tight bonds that these creatives formed over the years. I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was pretty inspirational and wildly entertaining. One more documentary we recently enjoyed is called Howard, and that premiered on Disney+. And it's a biographical doc about lyricist Howard Ashman. It covers his youth to his early days trying to break into the New York theater scene and then how he eventually got paired up with composer Alan Menken and created the off-off Broadway success of Little Shop of Horrors and then following him to his success with Disney and writing the music for such classics like The Little Mermaid and Aladdin and eventually his struggle with AIDS and his fight to finish the work on Beauty and the Beast. It was really interesting to see every aspect of his life from his work in the theater through Disney and to to see somebody who lost his life quite young. He was barely 40 when he passed away. And to think of the body of work that he left behind in, in the years that he was creative, but also to consider what he didn't get to work on because of his untimely death. It's a very good documentary with so much Disney history and Broadway history all mixed into it. So if you're interested in checking out Howard for yourself, that is available right now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Also, We Are Freestyle Love Supreme is available to watch right now on Hulu. And as we move into books, I want to talk about a couple things we've been hearing from our listeners from our posts over on Patreon. 
Heather very much recommends People Like Us, which is the second book in the Winsford Green series from Ruby Moon. It's a historical, and Heather says that she actually found herself rereading the dialogue because it was, quote, hitting me right in the feels. And overall, I slowed my reading down to draw the story out, unquote. That's always the sign to me that a book is really good. I tend to note that I read too fast and that I deliberately slow myself down because I know that I'm going to end up and finish it too soon. And also, Rhonda made this comment that I totally agree with. Why do my favorite authors all put out books at the same time? (laughs) Just in the last week or so, she's been balancing new books from Charlie Cochet, G.L. Carriger, Emma Alcott, and she's got Lily Morton on deck ready to go. I totally understand. There's been way too many books this summer to get into, and my TBR is just, it's spilling over. It's like spilling out of the Kindle or something. It's really ridiculous. An embarrassment of riches, to be sure. Which leads to a recent release I want to talk about. It's Allison Temple's Boyfriend with Benefits. Now, I started off the week reading something else, but it really just didn't capture my interest, which would normally send me into a funk. You know, you look forward to reading a book, but then once you crack open those Kindle pages, it just doesn't do it for you. So I had an unexpected reading slot open up in the middle of the week. And the cover of this one caught my eye, and I said, well, I'll give Allison Temple a try. And I am so glad I did. It ended my week on a high note. This is exactly what I needed. Boyfriend with Benefits is about Bailey, whose work life has been turned literally upside down when a company merger means that he'll have to work with his high school nemesis, Jack the Jerk. Now, because of reasons, Bailey asks his roommate Gordo, who he assumes is straight, to play his boyfriend while they're in Vegas for a corporate retreat. Gordo. What can I say about Gordo? It, <laughs> there just there just aren't words. He is this big, gentle giant. He is a quiet guy, a bit of an enigma, but remarkably kind. He rescues exotic pets and fosters like turtles and snakes and lizards. And while in Vegas, Bailey realizes that Gordo is in fact not so straight after all. And once they get the fact that they're both remarkably attracted to one another, he also learns that Gordo is bonkers amazing in the sack. But as I mentioned also, Gordo is remarkably kind and he does numerous things for Bailey, both big and small, to help him navigate the difficulties that he's dealing with with his job. Boyfriend with Benefits gives you literally everything you could ever ask for for a book with the fake boyfriend trope. In the end, our two heroes are head over heels in love, and Jake the Jerk gets his comeuppance. Like I said, this book was exactly what I needed, and I really, really enjoyed it. The most memorable part being the character of Gordo. He is just a big, giant teddy bear of a cinnamon roll hero and i highly recommend everyone check out boyfriend with benefits well i'm glad you avoided the reading funk because i know how it can be when you get into that book that you're it's just not quite what you want and i will agree with you that this cover for boyfriend with benefits is an eye catcher and just super cool so i'm glad you had a good reading week i've been in the wayback machine this week After we've just talked about all these new books that are out there um, (laughs) waiting to be read, I actually dropped back to books that are coming up on their 10th anniversary. Jim Provenzano released Every Time I Think of You in 2011 and followed it up with Message of Love in 2012. That first book actually won the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Romance, and the second was a finalist in that same category. 
These books follow the love story of Reed Conniff and Everett Forrester, who meet as high school seniors in 1978, and it continues through their college graduation in 1983. In that regard, it's also a historical novel because we're dealing with things that are 40 years in the past now. And it's interesting to look at a young gay couple finding love and being able to make a life for themselves at a time when it wasn't easy necessarily to be a gay couple. It also, of course, because of the timing, tracks through the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and how that affected members of the LGBTQ community. Don't think, however, that these books get mired down in struggle and strife. The story of Reed and Everett is wonderfully romantic, and I enjoyed every minute I spent with these two and this glimpse of the past through these characters. Now, their meeting is quite happenstance. Their houses were separated by woods. Reed went to public school, while Everett, because he had parents who were rich, went to a prep school. And their paths really had not crossed until one evening while they were both home on holiday break. They had a mind to go off into the woods and get off. Reed discovered Everett, and they shared that moment that began a relationship that neither one of them could shake through the years. Even as they had to go back to school, they managed to stay in touch through letters and occasional visits, which even involved going off to the big city and visiting Everett's sister, who was already living off on her own. That was a hilarious adventure for them, because not only did they just get to go off and have some alone time and check out the city, but they also ended up having to get away from a guy they tried to buy pot from in a, in a buy that went wrong. I mean, these two could just as easily have a nice picnic somewhere as going off and getting into some teenage hijinks as well, which just added to the fun. Now, their lives are thrown a major curveball when Everett is injured in a rugby game before he graduates high school, and he actually ends up paralyzed from the waist down. Reads the rock that Everett needs to get into rehab and to figure out what comes next, which leads them off to college and another phase of their lives, which is essentially where book two starts. Now, you can imagine it's not always easy for these guys as they sort out being away from home, living together, finding new friends, figuring out what to do with their lives. I really love how Jim didn't make everything easy for them, even with Everett's moneyed parents. But as I mentioned, he doesn't make everything a downer either. Certainly over the years, these two have their arguments and moments where they really consider what life might be like if they broke up, but the foundation that they've built always keeps them coming back, and it's so real world the way that these things feel, the arguments that they have, the misunderstandings they have, but they always come back and talk about it and figure it out. One of the other true things that makes this story so wonderful is that Everett is never made the victim. Yes, he has to deal with the transition of what it means to have life in the wheelchair, but he's determined to live life to his fullest. He never loses that adventurous spark that he has. Once he is past the initial funk of being injured, he and Reed go off and have a wonderful life. I, they become advocates for accessibility at a time that's really a decade before the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, really setting him up for his career that you could just see coming forever in politics. There's also limited homophobia in this book, which is really wonderful for a book that's set in this time frame. What is there is quite realistic, and it really just adds to the richness of the story about how Reed and Everett manage it along with everything else. Now, of course, no book about this era could take place without AIDS coming up, and it does provide some poignant moments and really questions for Everett and Reed to confront about their relationship and the life that they're, that they're living 
As with everything else, though, Jim presents this in a way that doesn't take focus away from the central romance and relationship that these two boys are forming. But it is something that they have to grapple with. As I said, I love everything about these books. The multi-year journey that Reed and Everett are on was such a great escape from the present, even with everything that life threw at this couple. There's something about these two and their palpable energy of love and life that made it very difficult for me to set these books aside when I had to... There's those moments you've got to go do something else, so you've got to stop reading, and I really had a hard time getting pulled away from these. I've read a couple other books by Jim and enjoyed them, but I'm so glad I finally found these two because of their recently released audio versions. I highly recommend these fantastic coming-of-age novels that feature such a rich romance between two wonderful characters. Now, I do have to note here that alongside my recommendation for these books is the fact that they will not meet the expectation of every romance reader. As Reed and Everett do have, as they put it, dalliances while they're a couple. Now, hopefully that's not going to put you off meeting Reed and Everett because these guys really have a relationship worth reading. Yeah, I certainly hope people will give these classics a try. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else that we've talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 253 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee every morning on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I'm an award-winning author of fantasy and romantic fantasy, and I chat with you over my first cup of coffee of the day, discussing what it's like to be a career author. I honestly share the ups and downs of this business, including my daily challenges and triumphs in getting my novels written. I give insights into the business side of being a writer, including agents, publishing, both traditional and self-publishing paths, and how much money I really make. I also give writing advice and reflect on leading a fulfilling and creative life. It's low-key, conversational. The cats sometimes put in appearances. I hope you all will join me there. Sit down and have a cup of coffee with me. Davidson King joins us this week to talk about her latest book in the Joker Sin series. It's called To Die For. I discovered Davidson for the first time just a few episodes back when I got to read Sticky Fingers, which I adored. And I love talking to her about this world that she's created. Joker Sin sits inside her Havenheart universe. And it was really fascinating to learn all about that. So let's get to it. Davidson, welcome to the podcast. It is so wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited to actually finally be here. <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love with Sticky Fingers. And after I read that and reviewed it back in episode 248, I had to have you on the show to just talk about your books. And the timing is so good because you've just released To Die For, which is the second book in the Joker Sin series. Now, before we get into all of the stuff about the new book, tell us about this series. Jokerson is a nightclub in Havenheart, actually. It's in the same universe as one of my other series, but it's completely standalone. And this, the books I'll take are characters that are within the nightclub that work there, like the owner, the bartender, the DJ, and the head of security. So there's going to be four books in the series, and it follows their four stories. Very cool. What kind of inspired you to get into this series? What were the pieces that for you formed up Joker's Sin? Joker's Sin actually became an inspiration when I was writing Havenheart because the nightclub does play a part in one of the books. And when I wrote 
that place in there, I was just like, there's a story there. And I just, it just wouldn't leave my head. So I just started like jotting things down here and there. And suddenly it was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this universe and I'm going to write this story. Oh, so Joker Sin is a spinoff. It's a spinoff. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to be really, really careful is I wanted to also make it like, if you never read Havenheart, it was totally fine. You could just read Joker Sin and you wouldn't be lost. That's tremendous to just keep building out this universe that you're writing in. And after, is it, yeah, seven books of Havenheart, now you've extended it out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was going to be the end, you know, when, when, well, I thought it was going to be seven books and then that was going to be it. And then I kind of knew Jokerson was coming, but I couldn't say anything. So when it was ending, people were getting sad. And I was like, you won't be sad, I promise. (laughs) What's it like to have such a big universe? Because there are several authors in our genre, of course, who have, you know, start something and then it branches over here and it branches over here and then it connects over here. Did you anticipate doing that with your own writing at some point? Well, I always knew that I was going to create a fictional universe because, and it's not because I don't like geography. It's just because (laughs) when you are writing a real place, you have to be very, very careful. Um, Especially if a person lives there, they will rip you apart if if they're like, you know, that's not fair anymore. But my imagination has always created make-believe places. So I wanted to write a universe that had a coffee shop I'd want to go to and a restaurant I'd want to go to. But I also wanted to make a place that I don't necessarily think is on the up and up. It's very shysty, you know, um, old, gives that old town like mafia feel to it but everyone just kind of still stays there and they don't know why they stay there. <laughs> and they all constantly say, I don't know why I'm still here, but it's just that I love the whole place. And when I came back to it, when I was writing Joker's Sin after leaving it for a little while, it just felt like home. So I'm happy to be back there. That's very cool. Tell us about the new book to die for. So To Die For, it's book two, and it's a standalone within the series. So if you didn't read book one, you're, you're okay. And it's Max, the bartender's story, and it's a patron who goes there quite often. His name is Sparkles, but he has a real name. He's a dance teacher, and Sparkles has quite an ugly past that Max knows nothing about. He's just enamored by him because Sparkle has pink hair, and he wears, like, outlandish clothes and he he's just a lot of fun and sparkles wants nothing to do with him and max wants everything to do with him and max lives at home with his mom and his sisters and he's italian and they're interfering and sparkles is kind of all alone with him and his dog so the clash of the two is kind of crazy and then when sparkles past kind of catches up with him max has to pretty much kind of saved the day. (laughs) (laughs) I love the name. I mean, just having somebody who just goes by Sparkles is just pretty awesome. Well, and it was funny too, because Sparkles in book three in Havenheart, I don't know how many people caught it if they read the Havenheart series, but in book three, you met Sparkles for about 30 seconds and he got the name Sparkles by one of the characters in Havenheart who happened to pass him by and saw he was all glittery and he just called him Sparkles because he needed a favor. So when I went back 
to write the book and I realized Sparkles was still there in my head, I said, I have to keep that name because someone's going to pick up on it. <laughs> so as you were building Havenheart, and you mentioned it as this skeezy place, because this is a romantic suspense mm-hmm. thriller sort of series. There's a lot that goes down in this town. <laughs> yes. I'm shocked it hasn't been like bombed out of the world or something like that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that series as a whole. And because it's seven books long at this mm-hmm. point. You mentioned it's complete, yeah. which is great for anybody who wants to go off and binge some romantic suspense. But what's it about Havenheart that makes it such a, a home for so much suspense to go on? The best way I was able to describe it to myself to convince myself that it's okay that I'm writing this is that if none of the characters in there, or at least one of the characters that play off of each other has some sort of a past and the best place to hide for somebody who has a past is a place that everyone's trying to hide. So when the first book starts in that series, you have snow who's living on the streets and then you have Christopher who's a mob boss in Havenheart. So those two stories kind of went together and then you had the people who worked for Christopher and then you bring in, assassins and then all of a sudden you have mobsters and assassins and the men that love them and you realize that the men that end up loving these horrible people (laughs) are actually genuinely nice people one of them's a professional hugger who falls in love with an assassin you know (laughs) another one professional hugger he's a professional hugger hired by the guy's sister because she thinks he's depressed and then he realizes what's happening and he's like i murder people (laughs) and this guy wants to hug him and you know and it was just i love there's goodness there and you Mm -hmm. see it within like snow and teddy and, and and quill and then there's bad there and you see that in black and christopher and reardon and all them and they just balance it just balances the universe had you always planned it to be seven? Nope. <laughs> so I just... um, I, when I wrote the first book, I thought this, well, I wrote a book. There you go. I, I, you know, bucket list crossed off and I never thought anything else was going to happen. Snowfalling was pretty successful. So I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it again. And it was when actually I wrote book two that I realized that this is going to be an ongoing series. So book one was kind of written and then book two kind of really starts it off. And, so um, one's almost a prequel in some ways, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is. Like, you could read that and, like, literally never read the rest of the series. You wouldn't feel like you lost something. But I know that once you start the series, if you want to get the, all the answers, you have to go to the last book. That's good. I love series that kind of, you know, kind of click you over. Not necessarily with cliffhangers, but that overarching arc. Yeah, I had to have, like, a finality to each one. It's like kind of like Stranger Things, where the series would end, but you still had questions, <laughs> and you'd have to wait, wait till the next season to get some answers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because <laughs> that thing is lurking over there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. We forget about that. <laughs> did you enjoy building the world out as you kept going, and did you run into any particular plot points that needed more research than others? Because this, the the world is so not believable at all. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that there's a place in this entire world that is like Havenheart. And there were sometimes a point, and one of my betas picked up on it once, and they were just like, how many things can you possibly have on Fifth Avenue? 
And I'm like, is there a lot of things? She's like, yeah, you really have to give another road. And I'm like, okay. So like, that would be like a thing. And I'm just like, I, I didn't even think about that. I would just like, you know, Fifth Avenue, why not? You know, Fifth Avenue is really big in New York. So, I mean, that was kind of a thing. Cause even though I created it, I had to realize how much I was putting in a certain area. I love that. It's like, it, it, it's more than Main Street. It's everything street. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's just a big circle of Fifth Avenue. It's just... <laughs> Do you have a f particular favorite story that you told in that universe? I know that's a little bit like picking your own child, but I think every author has one book in a series. It's like that one's kind of the pinnacle right there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always cheesy to say that it was my first one, but you know, the first one was, well, I think it was always, your first book is always something special. Any author mm -hmm. will tell you like that first one is, you know, your baby. But I actually had the most fun writing the last one because I brought every single character from the series back for that final book. And well, it was tricky, very hard. And there was a book Bible. It was so much fun to have them all interacting for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say that Raven's Heart, which is the seventh book, was my favorite to write. And I would guess that you must have Havenheart people making cameos in Joker Sin since it's the local bar. So that's funny because I had to be careful because I said it was like a it's, a, it's a standalone, but I do have Easter eggs thrown into it for those who did read it. So, you know, there's a character or somebody has art on their wall and, and it's from one of the characters of Havenheart. So somebody picked up on it. And then you have in, in the next book, you have someone renting from another one of the characters that were in Havenheart. So, I mean, there is that. I haven't actually physically put anyone in, and I'm still trying to figure out how to do it without confusing people who haven't read it. <laughs> well, you've got two more books to go. Yep. <laughs> to, to, two more. To put that in. But at least the Easter eggs are there, and that those are always yeah. fun to come across. Yeah, and it's been fun to hear people go, oh my gosh, you put this in. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you saw that. <laughs> <laughs> what are the plans for the next two books? What can you kind of tease us with? Book three is the DJ Ledger's story and Shane's story. That's not a secret. People picked up on that. And then the last book is the um, head of security. And I was totally making his book last because he's by far the most mysterious. And the third book, it's um, a stalker story. And in the fourth book, the last one is a serial killer story. And there's been mention of a restaurant called Veins, and you actually know Veins from Havenheart, and you know Veins from Joker Sin. And in this one, you actually have the owner of Veins in the fourth book. And that's who's paired up with the security guy. Try to make Do each one different, but, you know, violent, because apparently that's what it is there. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, yes. Why do people live there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I'm like, why are you people here? <laughs> <laughs> Do we get to go back to Havenheart later for something else? It's funny because my husband, he's my soundboard, and I'm always just like, what do I do next? Because I love going here, and he's just like, well, I mean... You can either have someone that's from there and give them another story. And he's like, or you can have somebody else who just, that's their home base, but they go around. So I do have a series coming, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen until the end of next year. And it's a hitman. And kind of like, I don't know if anyone ever saw The Accountant, where he's kind of like a loner in a sense. Um, and mm -hmm. he has the, his handler. 
so it's kind of like him and his handler and he's gonna his base is gonna be in Havenheart. so that's how i'm gonna work that back in again so you don't always write these intense romantic suspense books because sticky fingers was more I would call it maybe romantic suspense light in terms yeah. of the way that it ultimately panned out, but it's more a contemporary billionaire trope romance that's got it's also an age gap. Yeah. yeah. Where did this come from after all this that you've written that is so kind of, you know, on the heavier romantic suspense side in this terrible town? <laughs> I know it was kind of weird to like not write there. Um and I had to very much keep it apart because I had to remember it wasn't in the same universe. So because of that, I did need to make it later or else I think someone might have called like a therapist for me. But <laughs> <laughs> Sticky Fingers came to be because I went to the beach one day with my mom about three years ago. And it was this little private beach area that kind of reminded me of like Cabot Cove from Murder, She Wrote. But everyone was rich. And like, except for me and my mom. And... <laughs> We were sitting outside of a cafe and I was looking around and there was just like mansions like in the distance and stuff like that. And, you know, there's people walking by and I got like this whole thing came. I was like, somebody who, who stayed here for a summer could totally like pickpocket all these people and probably be like rich by the end of the summer. <laughs> and from that kind of sticky fingers just kind of came to be. And I was just like, what if somebody did get a job for the summer and got rich off of that? But I needed to obviously like make it a little bit more. I needed to give Kyle a good reason why he would do something like that because it just he's not a bad guy. So his friend certainly is though. <laughs> friend is not a nice person, no. But I knew it wasn't going to be a, you know, murdery kind of a book because it just it just didn't feel like it was. And it was a little weird to not write murder in it, to be honest with you. <laughs> And I did actually get a review once that I read that somebody said that it was so different from my Havenheart books that they weren't even 100% sure that I even wrote it. And I was like, oh, I don't know if that's good or not. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that a, an author, you know, can be versatile and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean. You still had a suspense element in it though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a little bit, I think so. Yeah. But it was, I think, more, you actually said it, like, really, really well in your review. It was very, like, dynasty-esque. Like, it mm -hmm. was very, like, a soap opera-ish, in a sense. And it was funny you said that, because when I was writing it, and I was just like, this would never happen. You know, I mean, maybe Joan Collins would make this happen. But, like, Alexis would totally do that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it was kind of funny that you said that. So, and I'm not, these things don't happen. My books, these things don't, I mean, maybe they do. I don't know these people, but no one I know that this happens to. So it's not, it's not believable. Like, <laughs> these people, I don't know them. <laughs> And I liked how you kind of play with that billionaire trope a lot and keep the power dynamics between the two characters really kind of balanced out in how they, you know, what they bring to the table to essentially help and fix each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm more of an emotional author than I am a, like if, you, if you're looking to read a book for sex, you're not going to find that in my books. I mean, it's there, it's just not my my main thing. I, I'm about connection and the emotions. And 
well, I would love to, you know, write a billionaire who is a jerk and just like, you know, forces Kyle to do horrible things and stuff. It just wasn't their story. And it just, I wanted people to not, I didn't want them to look at Maddox and think, oh, he's just another typical billionaire, blah, blah, blah. I wanted them to know that just because somebody has money doesn't necessarily make them a jerk. And, you know, and someone who doesn't have money who's stealing doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. It was just kind of like showing, you know, you could be the same and, you know, your bank account really shouldn't matter. And that was just really what I was trying to push with that book. Yeah. And with Maddox too, I was more into his story of essentially coming into his own Mm -hmm. in the business and to himself than the fact that he had, you know, all this money that he could throw around Mm -hmm. if he wanted to. We should all have that problem. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) This looks like a standalone book at the moment. Do you think we'll revisit what you've set up here at some point? No, I, I have gotten a few requests for Evan, his brother, but nothing is talking to me right now, probably because I have like 800 other things talking to me right now. But I, I will, you know, never say never. I never say never. I never thought I'd come back to Havenheart when I started writing it. So who knew? So Coming back to the brothers is interesting. I was thinking coming back to the resort, but coming back to the brothers is interesting too. The resort's an idea too. See, look at you not helping. <laughs> I give that to you if you want. <laughs> More interesting people at the resort. <laughs> now, the core of your books, as we talked about a little bit, is is really kind of murdery and a little dark. Yeah. What intrigues you about working inside that realm? <laughs> My mom asked me that one. She's like, what's wrong with you? I raised you to be a good girl, didn't I? Because um, she reads all my books and she's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. And then she, of course, tries to make parallels. Is this supposed to be your father? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I think it's just like, I've always been fascinated with, I love the History Channel and I literally watch like all the crime dramas and, you know, the mafia, things like that. And while I don't ever want to be in the mafia and while I never want to be, you know, have the attention of an assassin, I'm intrigued by that life. And I always find it, you know, like I like watching about serial killers, but I don't ever want to be their victim. And I just find the whole mindset of it to be so much more interesting than my life. So (laughs) I just kind of wanted to, you know, see what I could do with it and almost like humanize them. And I have fun with the anti-hero. I have fun showing, you know, the not so bad guy and the person that I think we all sometimes want to be the vigilante in so many cases and they can. So it just kind of is like a therapy. So (laughs) I kind of enjoy it. (laughs) And everybody needs their little bit of therapy. Yeah, you know, and if it means murdering bad people and I feel good about myself afterward, then good. You mentioned that the first Havenheart book was really kind of, okay, it's on your bucket list. Okay, I've written a book. How did writing a book get onto your bucket list? What kind of propelled you to pick up pen and and go for it? It was more of a challenge. When I was, and if, so any, if you, anyone even just opened up the Snow Falling book and looked at the dedication, it makes sense. When I was in junior high school, I told my guidance counselor that I wanted to be a writer. And she told me that I didn't have the, I, I, I wasn't, 
for lack of a better word, smart enough to be a writer. She said that I lacked the discipline. Oh, that is and that terrible. I just wasn't, yeah, she's like, you just, she's like, you're just not there. And she's just like, I would stick to something that's more you. And of course she never told me that and her guidance was terrible. But, and so I never really wrote, I just read all of these books for years and years and years. And I never told anybody. And on the side, I was just kind of dabbling with it. And one day I mentioned it to a friend and she's like, you, I'd, I'd like to read it. And I was like, no, no, no. Oh my God. It's never going anywhere. And so I sent it to her and she's also an author. So she's just like, this is, I love this. And she's like, you have to publish it. And her and a group of my friends got together. They got a cover for me, a formatter. They just kind of basically without them, they kind of invested in that book for me. So when the book was published, I dedicated it to my guidance counselor. You I hope know, you sent it to her too. <laughs> it's funny. I, I don't know where she is now. She might even be dead to be honest with you. She was kind of old, but I, I dedicated to her because it's just kind of a reminder to me every time I open that book that just because someone says you can't, doesn't mean you can't. So I just kind of did it to show that I could do it. I never knew anything more would come of it though. I love that story. Not the guidance counselor part, but that you just persevered and just, you know, did it. Yeah. But I mean, like there, and there's so many people like, you know, I, I have kids, so, you know, I, I'm always listening to what their teachers and stuff are telling them. And, you know, I could just be like, you know, I just, sometimes I'll be like, that's the worst advice I've ever heard. <laughs> like, How did you come to write MM Romance as your first book? I, well, I used to write fan fiction and it's funny because N.R. Walker and I were talking about this the other day. We wrote fan fiction at the same time in the same universe. And what we was had your no universe idea. of choice? It was the Twyfic universe. <laughs> and we had no idea who we were until I told her my name and she told me hers and I was like, oh my God. And we like read each other's stuff and we had no idea. And then my friend who's also reviews on my blog, actually, she told me to read a book called The Coil by L.A. Gilbert because it had an autistic boy in it and my son's autistic. And I was just like, oh, okay. And it was the first MM book I ever read. And the second I read it, I was just like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this was really, really refreshing and good. And she, she kind of was just like, well, then read all these. And then I just kind of <laughs> like, I never, you know, kind of, I never, I never look back. That's awesome. And you mentioned the blog, which is Diverse Reader. Yeah. Um, what pivoted you into reviewing and blogging? So I was reading these books and I realized that, and I was always talking to my friend Erin about it and stuff. And she's like, you should just open up some sort of like space for yourself so you can get all these thoughts out because you have so many. So I did and I started this little thing that was nothing. And she just kind of like would review with me and we just, started throwing it up there and Edmund Manning was actually the first author I ever had on my blog. Cause I said to him, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, I want, can I ask you some questions? I'm curious and stuff like that. And he was like, do you want to put it on your blog? I'm like, Oh, do you think people would want to read that? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Cause that's just who he is. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then just kind of like took off after that and then just grew and grew and grew. And now, you know, I'm just like, well, now it's, now it's a thing, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been around for quite a while now. I think you're yeah. one of the one of the few blogs that's been around for quite a while at this point. Yeah, it's gonna go in, it's going into its seventh year. 
Congratulations. That's thank you. That's awesome. The longevity is is great to see because the bloggers are an important part of what makes our community and our our universe go. And we've lost a few over the years, so it's good that there are some long timers still in there. Yeah, every time one goes, my heart kind of like feels like it like breaks a little bit. I'm just like, don't go anywhere, come back. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite reads from the past few months? I've had a lot of trouble getting into books lately. My mind is all over the place. Mm-hmm. But the the last couple that I read that were really, really good is I read uh, Pretty Sweet by Riley Hart and Christina Lee. And it kind of took me right out of my funk, which was really kind of nice because it was a light, you know, happy story, a little heartbreaking at times, but it was a really good story. And I, I, I just love that. They have a book one, Pretty Perfect, which is also really, really good. Thorn in His Side by Helen Julia. I read that too. That was really good. It was a very Beauty and the Beast-ish kind of a story. And that was really good. Those two, probably in the last few months, have been the only two that I can think of that are standing out for me. But it's yeah, good, I, when you have that book that goes like that book right there, that's what pops. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's sad because I'll I'll start a book and then uh, my mind is just I don't know what's going on, but I mean, well, I mean I know what's going on. The world, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, come on! I was really enjoying that. Gosh darn it, you know. And it's just it's frustrating, and I feel bad, but I always go back to them later. Yeah, we'll we'll get back to where everybody can you know focus and read again, hopefully. That'd be nice. So we mentioned the two books yet to come in the Joker Sin series. Anything else on the horizon you can kind of tease us with? So much. I have too much. Simon's book from Heaven Heart is actually a standalone book, and that is coming out at the beginning of next year. And I get harassed about that one a lot. And I've been putting that one off because I really want to get the Joker Sin books out. And then I actually have a vampire book coming. I'm so excited. I'm so excited because I've never written a vampire book, but obviously, well, I did the fan fiction, but this book won't leave me alone. I've been thinking about it for a year and I've been talking to a few people about it and everyone's like, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I'm like, all right, so we're going to give it a shot. I hope that that works really well. <laughs> Can't wait for that. I love a good vampire story sometimes. I don't read enough of them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I went through that whole thing where I read a lot of them like everyone did, and then I got tired of them, and then I went to something else. And now it seems to be coming back again, and I'm finding myself reading them more, and I'm like, hmm, I think I'm going to write one. It's a good diversion from the world that we live in yes. to be in that kind of place. Yeah. So how can everyone keep up with you online? I have a website which is davidsonking.com. I also have a reader's group where I'm there a lot, and that's uh, King's Court on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter. I'm pretty much everywhere. (laughs) Um, I just started, like, joining everything. I'm even on MeWe for, I mean, no one goes I don't even know what that is. I know, right? (laughs) Sometimes I forget I'm on there. But if you go to my website or my reader's group, those are the two places that I'm, for for authoring is, is where I'm mostly at. Fantastic. And of course, we'll link to Diverse Reader also so that folks can check in with what your reviewers are doing. Yep. You could always get me there too. There's a contact thing there. So Cool. Well, Davidson, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about the worlds that you've created. It's been wonderful talking to you. It's been wonderful being here. 
This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, you know what to do. Simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Davidson to joining us and telling us all about the worlds that she's created and to talk to us a little bit about the diverse reader review site. And she even gave recommendations. This show has been just full of recommendations, so we apologize for the damage that we may have done to your TBR this week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Now, coming up in episode 254, H.J. Welch, also known as Helen Juliet, who just happens to be the author of our book club pick for the month of August, Troubled Waters. She's going to join us to talk about her books, including her upcoming take on the fairy tale Rapunzel. I so much adored talking to Helen and learning all about her books and the differences in what you get in an H.J. Welch book and a Helen Juliet book. It was a wonderful conversation. I think everybody's going to enjoy it a whole bunch. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.